You read a book like Timothy, and you, you need to know at least something of the writer. And the writer is the Paul that we just talked about with um, the kids. At that point, he was still called Saul, but later on, he changes his name to Paul. And, and that's obviously very clear in Acts. And he's writing to Timothy in a place called Ephesus. And he's writing to Timothy and saying, as I urged you, remain at Ephesus and you've got a job to do. Timothy is a man who has travelled with Paul and has seen Paul literally plant churches from nothing. And he is here because he has been asked to stay and make sure that the church is strengthened. There is a, a passage a little bit further on where he talks about the uh, mystery of godliness, which is the core of Paul's belief that Christ came and that Christ changed everything. But he's really giving commands throughout the whole book to say this is how you should do church. You appoint leaders, you uh, teach certain things, you prevent people from teaching certain other things, and everything there comes down to something which is in a verse 5 of the passage we just read. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The aim of our command is love and that love comes out of a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. When you start to look at the, the passage we're looking at, Paul starts off by saying, tell these people not to teach this stuff. He says, charge certain persons, he obviously knows who they are, not to teach any different doctrine or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love, issuing from a pure heart, a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding what they're saying. It's quite a strong charge, that, isn't it? All the things about which they make confident assertions. Well, let's start with those people. Paul was worse than them. Because Paul confidently asserted that Jesus was not the Christ, that the resurrection was false, that these people were stepping outside of the law, which was actually half true, um, but missing the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And so he was out there attacking these people. And Paul knew the law. But now he's saying, those people that attempt to impose the law on the Ephesian Christians have got it backwards. They've got it wrong. They don't even know what they're doing, but they have completely missed it. Because the goal is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, 
and a sincere faith. The law, as he says afterwards, is written for those who, and he lists all the things you could be doing wrong, so Boris, take note, something about being a liar occasionally. You know, um, let's face it, the old joke about politicians is true, isn't it? How do you know a politician's lying? Their lips are moving. Um, unfortunately, it's true of us as well as our politicians because we get the people we vote for, so, you know, it's as much our problem. But what happens with the law is the law tells you where you're going wrong. But the law is like the sign that says, do not step on the grass. Until you saw the sign, you were quite happily walking down the path. But now you think, well, hang on a minute. Look, I don't, it won't matter, will it, if I just step on? The problem with our hearts is that we are rebelling against God. And what the law does to all lawbreakers of any type is to tell them, you do realize you are the wrong side of the line. You do realize you're a rebel. You do realize that you are somebody who is rejecting God. You are a slave, as Paul puts it in Romans, to sin. So when these people start to come in and they start to say, well, look, you know, genealogies, who's, who's, who's descended from whom, this sort of thing, and they, they, they dig into the Old Testament and they come up with some really interesting stuff that I'm sure somebody somewhere wrote a PhD about, they are missing the big picture. The big picture is that like Paul himself, the law cannot save you or me. If you list the Ten Commandments, you can prove to every one of you yourself, I'm not going to go and accuse you because I'm just as bad, that we have broken it. And in case you think you haven't, Jesus turned up and he made it clear that in fulfilling the law, he took things way further. So an American president once admitted to adultery on live TV. But it wasn't Trump. It was Jimmy Carter. Except that Jimmy Carter hadn't slept with any women except his wife. Jimmy Carter said, because my Lord says, if I even look at a woman lustfully, I've committed adultery with her in my heart. You see, it's about the heart again. So he was aware. The, just for a few seconds, I think the uh, reporter thought he got a real scoop here, and then he realized that no, Carter was a born-again Christian, and he believed what the Bible said about our heart attitudes. You have to guard your heart. When you start to look at your own heart, you know very rapidly that there's a problem. And you've got two choices. You can start making up excuses for yourself and give yourself reasons why you're allowed to do this. Just think about, um, I'm in the teaching profession. If I admitted, I can't admit to it without lying, to doing something like cocaine, that would be me out of teaching, right? Don't worry, I haven't. But if I were an ex-Secretary of State for Education and I admitted to doing cocaine, well, I can give you a reason why it doesn't matter for me. We can all do that. We can all self-justify. We can all give you the, well, look, I did this as well, so I'm okay, aren't I? But if you really sit down and you add it up, your attitudes and my attitudes, your actions and my actions, if we, if we lay them out, it is heavily against us. There is no mitigation. 
we are sinners we are rebels we in the way that we act sometimes effectively crucify Christ again which is another description which I've always been very scared about but it's true isn't it you think about it if you're a Christian you've been redeemed and then you do something wrong you're kind of adding to the total of things that God's forgiven now that doesn't mean you should go out and do as many things wrong as you can and he's going to forgive them all actually it should make you not want to do anything that would would would, would add to that total but the the amount that it, it, he paid to get me back is beyond anything that I could ever imagine or do and for each one of us he paid that price so when Paul says urge them not to teach any different doctrine he's saying because look I was like them and I was transformed what does he say he says I thank him this is verse 12 if you're following the um, the actual notes I thank him who's given me strength Christ Jesus our Lord because he judged me faithful appointing me to his service even though formerly I was a blasphemer I spoke against God to blasphemy is to say something wrong about God to take the Lord's name in vain to to speak against God when Jesus stood there and he basically said in terms I am God that was it the high priest ripped his clothes and said we don't need to hear anymore let's execute him then they had to take him to the Romans because they didn't have any power to execute him and they changed the charge because the Romans would have said well that's just some religious nonsense we're not interested but actually their, their, their reason was if you're saying you're equal with God that's blasphemy, you're out of here Paul's blasphemy of course was to say that Jesus was not God and though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor an insolent opponent I received mercy because I'd act ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus the answer God gave to Paul was to grant Paul true faith in the Lord heartfelt understanding he gave him a revelation of himself but did you notice he still sent Ananias and what did Ananias do Ananias explained the gospel to Paul so though there was a vision the scales fell off Paul's eyes when the gospel was explained to him we have some friends who are um, in a missionary group who have missionaries in all kinds of parts of the world including some very Islamic dominated parts of the world and they say that on occasion people have come to them and said I have had a vision and I have been told that I need to read a book have you got this book they have it's the Bible and it's in their language so they explain it but what God does is he gives you an opportunity to hear the gospel sometimes it is so hard because in those countries to be found with that book could cost you your life to be found with two Bibles like I've got here no problem but you don't realize until you look at the situation of the rest of the world how blessed we are to have that opportunity uh, I think it was Michael Palin who was surprised 
when he went into North Korea and they searched him to make sure he hadn't got any Bibles. It didn't, it didn't occur to him. But that is how much opposition there are. Paul says, I was out front of those people. I was the foremost. I was the one who was leading the charge. I was the one who got the letters. I was coming to get you. And then God totally transformed my life so that I now have faith in the risen Lord. And I now teach about Jesus Christ, our hope. But what he says is, watch out for these people who will start to put stuff on top and say, yeah, well, the gospel's great, but you do need to still have this, this, and this structure. This is how Paul puts it in Romans. I'm not going to do many cross-references, but the Romans cross-reference is quite useful. Romans chapter 5 and 6 has got a lot about this, but I'm just going to look at Romans chapter 6 and read you a very small portion of it. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not any, offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and, suffer, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? No. By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you're slaves to sin, leading to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching which has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. The grace of God has appeared to teach us to say no to unrighteousness. But that same grace of God appeared because Christ is calling a people a people who he purifies and makes eager to do good. You see, if I give you loads and loads and loads and loads of rules to follow and you think, oh, I've missed a rule out, I'm, I'm, you've missed the point. My righteousness comes through my relationship to the same Lord Jesus who stopped Paul dead on the road and turned his life around. My righteousness comes from the one who died on a cross and shed his blood for my sin. It doesn't come from dotting every I and crossing every T of the Old Testament law, which was there to show God's righteousness and our inability to keep it without the Lord. Without his mercy, we can't have a pure heart. What is your response if you find that somebody has given you what you don't deserve? What is your response if somebody gives you something marvellous? Sometimes you say you shouldn't have bothered. I had a friend who used to say, well, if you did, don't want me to bother, I'll take it away, the gift. God doesn't do that. 
in a way, if you were standing back and looking at the people God called, including someone like Paul, you could say to God, you shouldn't have bothered. Why didn't you just wipe him out? He didn't deserve salvation. He was your enemy. He watched somebody stone one of your servants. He, he watched on, and yet now he... Sorry. You've given him the job of telling other people about the mercy of Christ? What would your response be to such a great gift? Well, one hopes there would be a response and it would turn into love. Love from a pure heart, a heart that is pure not because I did all the right things, but because I've now put my faith in Jesus. A good conscience because actually I am still in my heart following that Lord and a sincere faith. The three go together. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The work of God in your heart is through faith. Accepting him, you respond to his amazing sacrifice, his offer of eternal life. You turn to him and you then want to serve him. You love him. It's not reluctant. There was a, um, an interview back in the Victorian era where allegedly the Queen wanted a new carriage driver. And she asked a question of the carriage drivers. She had, had it down to a short list of three. And she said, look, you know there's this particular place we have to drive the carriage up where there's a, quite a drop on one side. If you've ever been to Wales or gone across to Barla, you'll know there are places like that. I'm always scared driving up there. Because you can't see the edge of the road before you see the dip if you're in a car and you're driving on that side and the dip's on that side. How, 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 how safe could you be? So the first driver said, Ma Your Majesty, I could drive within one foot of the edge of the precipice and I would get up the hill with no problems at all. Thank you, she said. Turn to the second one. Your Majesty, I could get within six inches of the, of the precipice and there would be no problems. <laughs> Thank you, she said. Third person. Your Majesty, my priority is to keep you as safe as possible. I'm going to stay as far away from the edge as I can get. Who got hired? Now think about sin. What we often do is we often say, well, you know, I... I I can get that close and I kind of feel the vibe but I'm not really sinning yet am I ignoring what Jesus said about if you even look lustfully and so forth so you get a little bit closer you get a little bit closer now if you're focused on that boundary and not focused on staying as far as close as possible to the route you should be on which is obviously as far away from that as possible then you've got it backwards you've gone back into the sort of legalistic way of thinking and you could be one of those people who Paul is dealing with when he says, and you think you can sin and then grace will abound more. No. Your heart should not be pointed towards those things. It should be pointed towards the Lord. There is discipline in the Christian life. It's mentioned in this book. But what you've got to be really careful of is people who come along and tell you they've got this extra bit of teaching that nobody else seems to have known about until just recently. 
And, and if you follow this, you're going to be that super kind of Christian. You're not. They don't know what they're doing. What they're doing is trying to add something to something. And in fact, in doing so, they're taking it away. Yet these people come in with a motivation. Paul's motivation is very simple. He wants everybody to know about the Lord. He wants people to be saved because there's one mediator between God and man. He wants the church to grow strong and be a people who pull in other people, a people who stand firm on the gospel. And he doesn't care whether he gets paid, actually. He, he, he made tents. He did other things to avoid being a burden on some people. These people, they come in, and their, their thing is, I want to make you feel like I know more than you do. And then you can look up to me. And I'm going to do that by giving you some obscure thing that you didn't know about, because I learned a little bit more than you. And it is so dangerous. Because, friends, although the platform is lower than it was, I've got no right to be on a platform any higher than you because I'm an equal sinner before God. All I am doing is looking at the scriptures with you and saying, well, look at this and look at Paul's priority here. And his priority throughout the whole of this letter, and God willing, we'll look at a bit more of this letter this evening, is simple. He wants the gospel to impact the people of God so that they are followers of the Lord Jesus. Now we haven't quite done the whole of this passage today and I'm going to look at a couple of things and just bring them out as we skip through. But the, the key point here is that what is the fruit of a Christian life is a person who loves God with a pure heart, a good conscience and a sincere faith. And if you get together a whole group of those people and you appoint the elders and the deacons and you do the other things so that you have a church structure, it isn't the structure that's important. It's the quality of the relationship of those people with God. Do they walk in and see some people who take God seriously, who love him from the heart, who love one another because if you love God you can't help but love others? Or do they see people who, and this is what the world thinks, isn't it? And say, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. You know, I'm here to worship God. You know, that sort of stuff. And you can get that very easily because we all have this idea of trying to make ourselves look better. But actually, a sincere faith recognises that the only reason I look good to God is because when I stand here, he sees Christ. I'm, I'm clothed in Christ because I know what I'm like. And although Christ is purifying me, although he's changing me, he hasn't finished with me yet. Let's look at what Paul says. He says, we know the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that it's not laid down for the just, those who are justified, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy, the profane, those who strike their fathers and murder for mothers, for murderers, sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, whatever else is contrary to sound teaching in accordance with the glorious gospel 
of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. There is obedience in following Jesus. But it's not a legalistic, let's have a look at whether we've done this or done that or done that. The moment you start to build those things up, you are making it harder for people to see the Lord. And yet, there is that balance. This is what he says in verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever. Why does Paul say he was saved? The mercy of God to him and the mercy of God through him. Why were you saved if you know the Lord today? Were you saved so that you could feel a little bit better about yourself? Were you saved so that you could have eternal life? Yes, you were. But was that it? Or is there more? Because love is an active state. If you love, you do. And if you love, you do good. So the response of us to the gospel is to follow our Lord Jesus, who told us to make disciples, who told us to tell others about himself. Yes, Paul, the foremost of those opposing God, became the foremost of those proclaiming him. But he wants us to stand as examples of the grace of God now. He wants others to see the change in our life and be quite surprised. He wants more than that. He wants us to be willing to tell others what they need to know to believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. Don't get tied up on details that are less important. I hope there weren't any arguments about the colours of the chairs and stuff like that. It can happen. Yeah? Sorry. If I just hit a raw nerve. Um, they're lovely, by the way. They're great. Don't worry. Don't change them. <coughs> it is so easy to, to think, well, I'm in the church. Now let's, let's, let's throw some weight around. No. You're in the church as part of the body of Christ, and you are here to be built up. Now, as we look at Timothy, and my plan is, I'm, I'm back in July to look at um, another two parts then, and I'm back in September, and if you haven't got bored with it by then, I will hopefully do two more. I'm going to do something this evening on the next section of this. But the idea is that when you read a letter from Paul, it's a whole letter. He wrote to Timothy to tell him, here are your priorities. What he's done at the beginning is to say, the simple center of everything you do is Jesus Christ, the one who died, the one who rose, the one who gives you that clean conscience, that pure heart that you can approach the living God. And when you appoint elders, here are the criteria. You'll see it. It's the fruit of people who followed the Lord. And when you look at other things, deal with it like this. But isn't it amazing, says Paul, that you and I 
are even here at all. Because it's only because of the Lord Jesus, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. It's only because of him intervening personally in your life that you come to know the Lord. Now, if you've sat here today and you thought, you know what? I think I've been trying to do things just with the law and everything else. And, and, and you know what? I've got a guilty conscience. There's two possibilities. One is you're a Christian who actually has just lost their way a little bit and, and lost their focus. And you can just turn to the Lord. And you can repent of that and you can put that right. Or it could be that for the first time you've recognized that you actually think that by everything you do, you can make yourself acceptable to God. The bad news is that is impossible. The good news is there is another way, and it is turning to Jesus. If you want to know more about that, other than the things that I've already said, if you want to know how to turn to the Lord Jesus in faith, we need to tell you, maybe a little bit more clearly than I have, the story of what Jesus did at the cross, why he came, his resurrection, and we need to give you an opportunity to consider these things and respond. Paul used to go and reason with people over time. So I'm not going to make an altar call or anything like that, but if you are sitting there going, this seems to be pointing at me, talk to someone else. Plenty of people in this church, including me, who will be willing to have a conversation with you and help you to see the truth of the gospel that sets you free. Because the reason this church exists is because of what Christ did 2,000 years ago and what he's still doing today through his spirit. Now unto the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory. Because that's where the glory belongs. The answer that we should have to that is to love him from a sincere heart. Recognizing what he's done for us is so amazing. And how it fits into what he's doing. Leading to the new heaven and the new earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the way that he grabbed hold of Paul and made him one of the most effective ambassadors of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the words we have that Paul wrote to Timothy that you have preserved by your spirit so that we can hear from you even as we read these words. And Lord, we recognize that we've only spent a little time in these and there's so much more we could have done. Help us, Lord, to get the main point and help us, Lord, to be inspired to, to read more, to learn more, and to serve you more from a heart full of love for you and gratitude with consciences cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus. Amen.